Hello, friends. It's February 5th. I hope you're looking forward to reading the Word of God together. We're reading through the Bible using the one-year Bible reading plan and pointing out highlights with a daily commentary. My name is David McAdam, pastor and Bible teacher at New Life Community Church in Concord, Massachusetts, and this is the One-Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. We're continuing to read from the book of Exodus today as Moses receives the law on Mount Sinai. The law demanded perfect, perpetual, and personal obedience. The law is a revelation of the righteousness of God. It makes plain that we all fall short of God's glorious ideal for living. But the good news is that the righteousness that the law requires is found in Jesus Christ, and he offers that righteousness as a free gift to those who will trust in him. The law that spelled out the requirements of righteousness also prophetically spelled out how God would put guilty sinners in the right if they put their trust in God's merciful provision of the atoning sacrifice of a sinless substitute. Jesus offered his life of a perfect, perpetual, and personal obedience on behalf of all those who would put their trust in him. Today we are reading the social laws that would ensure the honoring of human life and promote justice in society. So let's go now to Exodus chapter 21, beginning with verse 22. When men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, but there is no harm, the one who hit her shall surely be fined as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. When a man strikes the eye of his slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned, and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has been warned, but has not kept it in, and it kills a man or a woman, the ox shall be stoned, and its owner also shall be put to death. If a ransom is imposed on him, then he shall give for the redemption of his life whatever is imposed on him. If it gores a man's son or daughter, he shall be dealt with according to this same rule. If the ox gores a slave, male or female, the owner shall give to their master thirty shekels of silver, and the ox shall be stoned. Laws about restitution When a man opens a pit, or when a man digs a pit and does not cover it, and an ox or a donkey falls into it, the owner of the pit shall make restoration. He shall give money to its owner, and the dead beast shall be his. When one man's ox butts another's, so that it dies, then they shall sell the live ox and share its price, and the dead beast also they shall share. Or if it is known that the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past, and its owner has not kept it in, he shall repay ox for ox, and the dead beast shall be his. Chapter 22 If a man steals an ox or a sheep, and kills it or sells it, he shall repay five oxen for an ox, and four sheep for a sheep. If a thief is found breaking in, and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. 
but if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold for his theft. If the stolen beast is found alive in his possession, whether it is an ox or a donkey or a sheep, he shall pay double. If a man causes a field or vineyard to be grazed over, or lets his beast loose, and it feeds in another man's field, he shall make restitution from the best in his own field and in his own vineyard. If fire breaks out and catches in thorns, so that the stacked grain or the standing grain or the field is consumed, he who started the fire shall make full restitution. If a man gives to his neighbor money or goods to keep safe, and it is stolen from the man's house, then, if the thief is found, he shall pay double. If the thief is not found, the owner of the house shall come near to God to show whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. For every breach of trust, whether it is for an ox, for a donkey, for a sheep, for a cloak, or for any kind of lost thing, of which one says, This is it, the case of both parties shall come before God. The one whom God condemns shall pay double to his neighbor. If a man gives to his neighbor a donkey or an ox or a sheep or any beast to keep safe, and it dies or is injured or is driven away without anyone seeing it, an oath by the Lord shall be between them both to see whether or not he has put his hand to his neighbor's property. The owner shall accept the oath, and he shall not make restitution. But if it is stolen from him, he shall make restitution to its owner. If it is torn by beasts, let him bring it as evidence. He shall not make restitution for what has been torn. If a man borrows anything of his neighbor, and it is injured or dies, the owner not being with it, he shall make full restitution. If the owner was with it, he shall not make restitution. If it was hired, it came for its hiring fee. Laws about social justice. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. If her father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. You shall not permit a sorceress to live. Whoever lies with an animal shall be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord alone shall be devoted to destruction. You shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them, and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry, and my wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows, and your children fatherless. If you lend money to any of my people with you who is poor, you shall not be like a moneylender to him, and you shall not exact interest from him. If ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down, for that is his only covering, and it is his cloak for his body, and what else shall he sleep? And if he cries to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. You shall not revile God, nor curse a ruler of your people. You shall not delay to offer from the fullness of your harvest and from the outflow of your presses. The firstborn of your sons you shall give to me. You shall do the same with your oxen and with your sheep. Seven days it shall be with its mother. On the eighth day 
you shall give it to me. You shall be consecrated to me. Therefore you shall not eat any flesh that is torn by beasts in the field. You shall throw it to the dogs. Chapter 23 You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You shall not fall in with the many who do evil, nor shall you bear witness in a lawsuit siding with the many so as to pervert justice, nor shall you be partial to a poor man in his lawsuit. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it, you shall rescue it with him. You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge, and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. You shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Laws about the Sabbath and festivals. For six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. Pay attention to all that I have said to you, and make no mention of the names of other gods, nor let it be heard on your lips. And this is the end of today's reading from the Old Testament book of Exodus. Let's take a few moments to recap and reflect. The giving of the law through Moses made a profound difference in the history of Israel. Its impact has had substantial impact upon Western civilization. It has been rightly posted in many courtrooms in the United States and other countries as it affirms an ethical standard given by our Creator to which we are all to be held accountable. Although there had been prior written codes of law in other civilizations, here were laws that for the first time stood taller than men and defined transgressions as not merely an offense against society, but an offense against the revealed moral nature of God. Consequently, as God was making himself known to the people of Israel, a worldview was taking shape in which it was understood that man was to be held to an absolute standard of right and wrong. This was in marked contrast to other civilizations. Egypt was ruled by Pharaoh. His arbitrary judgments were the law of the day. There was no written or codified law. His might, as Egypt's Pharaoh, determined what was right. To the east, the Mesopotamian cultures had complex written codified legal systems, the oldest extant example dating from 2050 B.C., it was a system for determining accurate weights and measures and underscored the right of Ur-Namu to rule as king over the region. Abraham, who hailed from Ur of the Chaldees, must have known of the two tables of stone with Akkadian inscriptions dating from 1920 B.C. that codified property regulations laid down by the god Tishpak that were transmitted by their local king. The Code of Hammurabi, dating from 1728 B.C., was found in Susa, 
and was impressively written on a six-foot diorite stone slab. The eye-for-an-eye, tooth-for-tooth stipulation of Exodus 21, verses 24 and 25 is often misunderstood. It simply means that the punishment must be commensurate to the crime, a strict upholding of compensation due according to the extent of injury. The Mosaic Code contains laws, revolutionary at the time, which champion human dignity and the need to show compassion for the outcast, the widow, and the foreigner. The Sabbath was given not just as a sign of the covenant relationship between God and the people of Israel, but as a means of treating all workers and work animals with respect for their need for rest and refreshment. Even the land was treated with respect and given a Sabbath, in Exodus 23, verses 10 through 12. There are laws that considered the danger of the mob mentality, the popular poll mentality, bribes, and false witnesses that often obstruct justice, in Exodus 23, verses 1 through 9. Paul Johnson, in The History of the Jews, writes, quote, Though the Mosaic Code was in this sense part of the Near Eastern tradition, its divergences from the other ancient codes are so many and so fundamental as to make it something entirely new. Firstly, the other law codes, though said to be inspired by God, are given and worded by individual kings, such as Hammurabi or Ishtar. They are thus revocable, changeable, and essentially secular. By contrast, in the Bible, God alone writes the law. Legislation throughout the Pentateuch is all his, and no Israelite king was ever permitted or even attempted to formulate a law code. Moses, and much later Ezekiel, a transmitter of law reforms, was a prophet, not a king, and a divine medium, not a sovereign legislator. Hence, in his code, there is no distinction between the religious and the secular, all are one, or between civil, criminal, and moral law. This indivisibility had important practical consequences. In Mosaic legal theory, all breaches of the law offend God. Making restitution to the offended mortal is not enough. God requires expiation too, and this may involve drastic punishment. End quote. Other legal codes saw people as property valued according to their usefulness. Human value would be arbitrarily determined, not unlike modern society that in many cultures puts lesser value on the unborn, the handicapped, females, the elderly, or those of another race. The law of Moses upholds that mankind is made in God's image, and so human life is not just valuable, it is sacred. Murder is a sin against God. Adultery is a sin against God. Money cannot buy off the judge. This law was not written to favor the rich. All are to be held accountable. Kings were subject to the law. When a king of Israel was to take office, he was not only required to read the law, but as a practical discipline, he was to personally write it out on a scroll. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verses 18 through 20 clearly makes this demand upon the king. When he takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law, taken from that of the priests who are Levites. It is to be with him, and he is to read it all the days of his life, so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God, and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees, 
and not consider himself better than his brothers, and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. Now let's go to our reading from the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verses 1 through 28. Jesus foretells destruction of the temple. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what would be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house, and let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, Look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. And this is the end of our reading from the New Testament Gospel of Matthew. Jesus makes an outrageous prediction as he leaves the magnificent temple complex in Jerusalem. He points to all of it and says, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Who could have imagined that within a generation, 40 years, 
Titus of Rome would order his army to destroy the temple so that not one stone is left upon another to extract the gold that trickled into the cracks when he had the building set on fire in 70 A.D. The Jewish historian Flavius Josephus records that the temple was constructed of blocks of white limestone that was measured 37 feet long, 12 feet high, and 18 feet wide. Some of the remaining blocks weigh nearly 400 tons. We saw some of these stones that had been excavated at an archaeological dig in Jerusalem where they had been cast aside at the temple's destruction. The Wailing Wall is all that remains of the large stone platform upon which the temple once stood. As Jesus walks away from the temple, he crosses the Kidron and makes his way up the Mount of Olives and answers the disciples' questions. Number one, when will this happen? Number two, what will be the sign of your coming? Number three, what will be the sign of the end of the age? What follows is known as the Olivet Discourse. The answer to the question regarding the temple's destruction is found in Luke's account, Luke chapter 21, verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. The answer to the second question, what will be the sign of your coming, is found in Matthew chapter 24, verses 29 to 44, in which Christ's glorious coming is described. As we compare Scripture with Scripture, we learn that Jesus is going to return first for his own, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, and John chapter 14, verse 3. Then he will return with his own, in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16. The sequence is that the church is caught up to meet the Lord before the outpoured wrath on those who have no affection for him, those who dwell on the earth. Matthew chapter 24 verses 4 through 14 describe what happens after Herod's temple is destroyed until the beginning of the tribulation period. Those who believe this all happened before 70 AD fail to produce the evidence, particularly Jesus' prediction that many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will lead many astray. The answer to the third question, what will be the sign of the end of the age, is found in events that Jesus describes particularly from verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. This event is also referenced by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Thessalonians. Paul is speaking of the day of the Lord, the end of the age. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3-4, through 4, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first, and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Now let's go to our reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 29, verses 1 through 11. A Psalm of David Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, 
Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The voice breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forests bare. And in his temple all cry, Glory! The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Psalm 29 is a glorious psalm that employs the sight and sound of a storm developing over the Mediterranean Sea and moving inland across the Middle East geography from the north, first to the cedars of Lebanon in verse 5, then southwest to Mount Hermon, that's Syrian in verse 6, to the wilderness of Kadesh in verse 8, and south to Jerusalem to speak of the Lord's power over all creation. This is true worship, ascribed to the Lord glory and strength, as we go through life's storms, recognize that He is sovereign over them and speaks to us in them and through them. His voice humbles human pride. The cedars of Lebanon that stand tall He breaks. His voice brings new birth and causes all to spring to life. In verses 6 and 9, He is enthroned as King over the flood and over every storm. He is King forever. In verse 10, At the end of the storm, he will have strengthened his people and blessed them with peace. In verse 11. Today's proverb is a story. Proverbs chapter 7, verses 6 through 23. For at the window of my house I have looked out through my lattice, and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and at every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him, and with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows, so now I have come out to meet you to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. At full moon he will come home. With much seductive speech she persuades him. With her smooth talk she compels him. All at once he follows her, as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. Today's reading from the book of Proverbs is the story of a young man snared by temptation. 
Although the specific sin referred to is adultery, the scenario applies to any sin. The adulteress represents temptation, which is so alluring, intriguing, wild, flattering, enchanting, accessible, expedient, and easy to rationalize. Temptation highlights the easy opportunity of sin, but hides the fatal cost. There is a warning here for the wise. You have an opportunity when temptation arises to turn away by choosing another street, staying away from her corner, her house, her couch, long before you fall into the snare and it costs you your very life. Be warned, sin earns a wage. The wages of sin is death. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Let's pray. Lord, give us discernment to stay on a plain path and not to investigate beckoning streets and alleyways, temptations that you have marked so clearly with the warning signals of your word. Thank you for giving us your law that has told us what is good and what you require of us to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with you, our God. We love your ways. They are perfect. Teach them to us. We see your ways perfectly articulated in Christ. We look forward to that day when we will see him face to face. For we know that when he appears, we who are your children, Father, shall be like you because we will see you just as you are. Help us to live that way today, seeing you as you truly are in Jesus. And in his name we ask it. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself or herself even as you are pure. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us on our one-year Bible tour today, and God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments, you can always contact us at podcast at newlife.org. So until next time, shalom. Shalom.